You're listening to KenCast. This episode was recorded in front of a live internet audience. And here's your host, Ken Cole. Today, we're going to have a fun time discussing what has become a Christmas classic, a movie that many of us love, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We're going to just go into the movie, the history of the movie, what we think of it. For this discussion, we have an amazing guest he is an expert in these types of movies. He's also a huge fan of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you, Drew Rohalli. Drew, how are you? Great to see you. I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be invited on the KenCast and talking about one of my favorite movies, one, one of my favorite Christmas movies, and then one of my favorite movies in general. It's a must-watch for me every year, every, uh, every Christmas season. I told you you had too many plugs in one outlet. Oh, God. That thing had nine lives. She just spent them all. <laughs> Woo! National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. If you could get us started by giving us your thoughts on this movie, when you first saw it, and what it means to you. Man, I, I can't remember exactly when I first saw it, but I just remember watching it at Christmas time, like since I was young. And whether it was on TV or whether we rented it or something. I've always been a fan of, you know, Chevy Chase and just the National Lampoon's movies in general, like Animal House, anything else in that in that vein. And there's something that, you know, just combines the comedic aspects and and sort of the some of the slapstick comedy. But it also has like a really sentimental feel too. You're too good a father to act like this. And years to come, you want your children and your family to remember all the love you gave us and how hard you tried to make the perfect Christmas. Where, you know, you you almost experience this movie's this movie in different waves as you age yourself. So as a kid, right, you're watching the movie, you're sort of experiencing it because it's funny and, and, you know, people are mad at each other or whatever. There's some crazy things that are happening. As you get older and you have your own family, right, you almost feel like you're Clark Griswold now. And it's like, do you want your perfect Christmas? And what is the perfect Christmas? And what does that mean to people? So I feel like there's there's layers to the movie. And that's why I think I like it so much. Because I think you can relate to it on, on multiple levels. But it's definitely become a staple in my house. Uh, if I'm ever you know, ready to feel Christmas, this is like the first one that I start. I might even watch it like multiple times throughout the Christmas uh, season or holiday season. I just like it that much. And I feel like... If it was on TV, if anyone ever flips the channels these days, I don't know. I don't. But if you do and it's on, like, I'm going to stop and watch it. So I don't know. Did you watch? Did you grow up watching this or is this like a newer thing for you? It's one of those. I don't know if you can remember way back when they had those pay-per-view movie channels and they would have like previews that would run all day long. After vacationing across America and throughout Europe, this holiday season, the Griswolds are going to play it safe. Christmas Vacation was one of those previews. <laughs> you woo, crack up. And I saw the trailer over and over again. And then I think they had one of those, I don't know if it was like an HBO free weekend or something like that, but they were showing <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And that's the first time I saw it. I am just going to kind of run through some things about this movie. Okay, so this movie was released on December 1st of 1989. Uh, you, if you want to see it now, it's currently available on HBO Max. It's the third vacation movie. And then this one's directed by Jeremiah S. Chechik, the first film he did as a director. And he'd done music videos for Van Halen and Hall & Oates. 
And then after this, he directed movies like Benny and June and Tall Tale, The Unbelievable Adventures of Pecos Bill. And he's done like a lot of TV work since then, uh, directing for TV. This is the only movie along with the original that was written by John Hughes. So John Hughes, who did Ferris Bueller, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Uncle Buck, Home Alone. I can't seem to find my toothbrush, so I'll pick one up when I go out today. Other than that, I'm in good shape. He wrote this movie in the original one. You can definitely tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, he's just magic at that. Wasn't yeah. he? Hughes is amazing. I mean, all, I can't imagine like anyone not liking those movies and he's done such a phenomenal, he did such a phenomenal job with all these movies, you know, and I feel like they had a certain feel to them. And I feel like the first one feels like this one, even though it's in Christmas, it's the, the, the writing is so good. The dialogue and the way that we've talked about this before, right? the way he writes characters and, and the dynamic of all of the different family members here. Like it's, it's masterclass. I feel in, in a family movie. Of its day, it had a budget of $25 million, which in 1989, that's actually a really decent budget. Yeah. You know, and you can tell like uh, the movie looks good. It has these amazing set pieces. Don't drop that! It grossed $73.3 million, so it got back about three times its budget. The Rotten Tomatoes score is 70%. Too low. Too low. <laughs> Too low. <laughs> IMDb says 7.5 out of 10. As Badway would say, way too low. <laughs> way too low. <laughs> too low. <laughs> and on Letterboxd, this is in Letterboxd, it's 3.5 out of 5. That's also too low, but I have it's actually... Really Letterbox, that's not bad because people on there are very much polarized on a lot of these things. But I do feel like that's all right. <laughs> but it's still too low, in my opinion. It's a five out of five to me. <laughs> so those are kind of the stats on this movie. Obviously, this is part of not only John Hughes's pantheon, but more specifically, the Vacation series with Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold. Much of a chance to talk to you man to man, Russ. Well, I've only been a man a few days, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Where do you think this movie sits amongst those? That is a loaded question, but it's a really good question. <laughs> it's So I'm just going to start by saying I've never really seen European Vacation all the way through, and that might be mm. blasphemous and I shouldn't probably admit it, but I'm a man of honesty, so I'll admit it. Yeah, I've wanted to watch it, but I just never it never got me. The first one is a classic, right? I love the first one. I think it's very good. And I have a very soft spot for Vegas Vacation. I just mm -hmm. think it's a fun movie. I would say it's hard to argue that the first isn't the best because it is such a classic, but I'm going to I'm just going to say that. I think this one's the best. And I think the the first one is the second best, but it's so close. And it might be because I'm in the holiday cheer and it's a holiday season and I've got my holiday blinders on, but I just feel like this one's so good for a variety of reasons. And I'm going to, I'm going to put that out there. It might be a hot take, but I think this is the best one. <laughs> you know, Drew, I'd, I'd agree with you. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think there's a reason for that. I think the original vacation movie, National Lampoon's Vacation was very good, hugely popular at the time. It was of its time. However, I personally don't think it's necessarily aged as well as some other eighties comedies. And this movie not only is it funny, but it seems to have much more of a timeless quality to it. I agree. So I really think this one has held up over time. 
And I would definitely put it above for me, the original National Lampoon's Vacation. And I agree with you about Vegas Vacation. You could say that maybe as far as filmmaking craft, you know, it's maybe not up there with uh, the original and this one. But man, that's funny. And in a way, I kind of enjoy it more than the original. I, I do too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Nick Papa Giorgio. Jilly from Philly. Nick Papa Giorgio from Yuma. <laughs> Nick Papa Giorgio from Yuma. How are you gonna like you know that <laughs> and the 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 whole casino scene with with Randy Quaid and Chevy Chase and playing like the concept of playing war at a casino like and guess a yeah. number like it's just genius to me like it's stupid but it's up my alley like I I love Vegas Vacation it's yeah. severely underrated in my opinion. What we're looking for today is the Griswold family Christmas tree. There's a scene in this movie, and we'll kind of get into this movie, at the beginning that's on the back of a lot of, say, DVD covers when they're going to get the Christmas tree. Because in the movie, they just immediately, they're out in the woods looking, hiking to find the perfect Christmas tree. But there is a scene that was written and shot where they're actually shopping for a Christmas tree at the shop. Because when they fly over and they crash into the sign that says trees... That's where they were going to buy a Christmas tree. So there was a scene shot, but it was totally cut out, and we still haven't seen it to this day. Ben says, I saw a clip of Siskel and Ebert reviewing the movie, and they hated it. They said it wasn't funny at all and didn't think anyone should go see it. There's no comic energy in the story. The Griswolds can be funny when they go on vacation, but not here when they stay stuck at home. I can't recommend it, and it seemed to me that what we had here were all the elements, and they just weren't quite firing. For example, when the in-laws turn up, they're not very funny, and they're not really differentiated, and they're not really made very interesting. Man, were they wrong. Yeah. It's a Christmas classic. You know what else they were really wrong about? And it was the following year was Home Alone. Oh, you go, go and watch their initial review of Home Alone, two thumbs down. Writer-producer John Hughes and his director Chris Columbus have made a sort of a pre-teen Ferris Bueller's day off, and the formula is wearing thin on me. I think I would have liked the movie more if it had been much more realistic. Yes, what would really happen if a little kid were left home alone? And then watch. (laughs) It's funny to hear that now. It is, isn't it? You can watch... (laughs) Like a month or two later, after it was this massive hit, you can go and watch them discuss if they were wrong in their first review because, like, everyone loved it. It was this big smash. For nearly three months, Home Alone has stood at the top of the box office charts week after week after week. It turned out that the audiences loved the whole package, including the implausibility. But there may also have been some deeper forces at work there. We're living in troubled times right now, and Home Alone offers the exact opposite of the headlines on the news. I just think that... um... The reason, because I'm trying to explain, how could we be so off? Mm -hmm. It was one of the first times I've seen them try to figure out, like, did we get this wrong? Like, how come we didn't like it? And so I'm wondering if it's that kind of thing. Maybe they didn't get some of John Hughes' stuff. Did they walk back on it? Did they walk back on what they said for Home Alone or no? Did they own it? I'm curious because I didn't see that. Uh, other thing that was going on in the film was that Christmas uh, subtext, mm-hmm. and I think that's a very powerful thing. People hunger for uh, a heartfelt a Christmas movie, I think, t- 12 months a year, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if they necessarily changed their opinion, but they were very humble, I think, humbled by the fact that everyone loved it, <laughs> and they were maybe trying to figure out why they said they didn't like it and why everyone else liked it. That's and so. Funny. Yeah, it definitely is. worth checking out if you're movie fans. Both those are on YouTube. There's so 
there's a Twitter yeah. account that that I follow. It's like I think it's called Freezing Cold Takes. I forgot the exact name of it, but it's mostly about sports. But it's stuff like that where people are just dead wrong on what they say, and they bring them back up. And that's a freezing cold take to me. That needs to be in the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Drew Arkansas Dave brought up Julia Louis Dreyfus, who's in this movie, and this movie came out right during the first season of Seinfeld. So it was before she became yeah. very famous. But she plays this unforgettable character named Margot, uh, who has a relationship with Todd. Todd. And they're these yuppie neighbors of Clark Griswold. What are your thoughts of this? Because this is unique. It almost seems very 80s in a way, this, this type of concept. But what are your thoughts on Margot and Todd? I love them in this movie and I love the dynamic between them and, and, and Clark and, and fun fact, I think I saw whether it's true or not on IMDb, but I think their house is the house that was Riggs house from, from a lethal weapon, I think is the same house, but I, I like them and I like the dynamic between them because I think it's fun especially the scene where Clark's cutting something with the chainsaw or whatever it was. And, and then they walk out and he's like, I'll tell you where to put it. Hey, Griswold, where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. You've got a lot of nerve talking to me like that, Griswold. I wasn't talking to you. You know, like basically, <laughs> and there's this dynamic between them. Like I almost need a prequel where they're in this house and and the dynamic between them and and them as neighbors. Uh, they are definitely yuppies. And I they have that total 80s vibe where they've got the, the the cd player and all the cool like technology and they're wearing the space jogging suits to sweat it out and into aerobics and all the 80s fads and you know there's just something really funny about that and and i love the dynamic between them and i love how you know clark's got his crazy family there and it's just the two of them they couldn't be more opposite you know their idea of of spending christmas is you know, doing whatever, going for a jog. And then what did she say? Taking a shower before. <laughs> he's right, exactly. I'm going to take off his clothes, sit in the dark with a glass of wine and kiss every square inch of your body. After you shower, of course. Of course. <laughs> but I love it. And, and I think she's perfectly cast too. She does a great job. And I don't know the actor for Todd and whether he was in anything else, but I thought he was great too. And I loved how even within their coupleship, or their relationship, they had a weird dynamic too. I, I I think they were great. And it's like, in a way, they're yuppies. And I think the audience isn't necessarily a yuppie <laughs> or, or we're not necessarily yuppies, but you're sort of living vicariously through them and you're seeing the experience of what the hell's going on at this house through them. Like the ice shooting through the window and all these random things. Then the guy dumping out his septic tank from his, his, uh, his camper into the, the sewer system like it's it's like what the hell's going on over here you know that's that's why i like them so much <laughs> that's, that's they're my favorite in the movie oh yeah they're they're great brent points out the quote why is the carpet <laughs> wet todd <laughs> it's great and why is the carpet all wet todd i don't know margo and jay wiggins says i love how margo's yes. definitely the alpha punches todd right over the couch i love yeah, that 100 percent. <laughs> what happened to you we look at them and obviously they seem kind of snobbish and yuppie-ish and 
a little off-putting and, oh, we wouldn't really like to have them as a neighbor. But who's the worst neighbor here? It was Are they really that bad a neighbor or is Clark Griswold a bad neighbor? I mean, to be honest, like what did they really do? They didn't really do anything. They kind of mind their own business. If you're living... so. You could take one one of two sides, right? You could take the side of, hey, this guy just loves Christmas and he just wants to make his house look nice. But if you're sitting next to him and I don't even know what the lumens or the wattage is on those bulbs, like if that's coming in through your window and, and there's like a <laughs> crappy RV parked on your thing and a guy's dumping in the sewer, like I don't know that I would want that guy as a neighbor either, even though he's just a nice guy. He's just trying to take care of his family. So is he really that bad? I don't know. But I do feel like they kind of mind their own business. They don't really bother anybody unless they're the ones that are like part of the HOA that are telling everybody what to do. Who knows? <laughs> but but I feel like they don't bother anybody. And he's more like making a, a racket and, and a mess. I don't know. What do you think? For me, kind of at my age, it's nice. I think that they would kind of mind their own business in a way. Like it seems like they'd be the type of people who really wouldn't bug you. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. I think the only time they're they're kind of like, in conflict is when boundaries are crossed. You would talk to the guy next door if he took out a chainsaw and was uh, <laughs> cutting up a tree in the front yard. Like that would be something that a neighbor would do. But I don't think that they would really mess with anyone else. I think they were happy in their own lives. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they were necessarily that bad. Obviously, their house sustains damage as well. So I think even though we might not like them as people, I don't think we could say they're bad neighbors. Oh man, and I agree. Jay put a comment here. Don't forget they're they're dealing with pool parties soon. You're right, Jay. Like imagine <laughs> that. Like that's gonna be summer problems. So I mean, look, have fun in the pool, but with what's going on here just for Christmas alone, imagine the summer. It's gonna be it's gonna be nuts there. So they're gonna be real it mad. Is. And we and we can kind of like jump right into sorry, the <laughs> jump right into the <laughs> pool discussion. <laughs> Get that? Clark, he has put down, I think he said seventy five hundred dollars already. <laughs> on the pool that he wants to install in the backyard. And that's kind of the big problem and why he wants his Christmas bonus is because he doesn't really have the money to, to cover that, that he spent on the deposit oh, on the pool. I don't get that bonus. I'm in it up to here. So is this a smart thing? No, not do? at all. No, no. What an idiot. That's I'm yeah. sorry. I have to say this. What an idiot. And here's the thing. And I'm not going to be the corporate shill and, and take the side of, of the man here, but it's called a bonus for a reason. Bonus is not guaranteed, buddy. <laughs> like it's not. I mean, and he even when he's talking to Mr. Shirley, no, I'm not going to be the guy that's sitting here firing everybody, but I'll say this, Mr. Shirley, right? Maybe you can't get a bonus this year. If profits are up, okay, that's bad on them. But maybe they're going through tough times. Like you don't know how the company's going. You can't guarantee that. Now, listen, I think he should get his bonus. It's better than the jelly of the month club, although it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's one of those <laughs> things where you just can't count on that. Like you can't count on a bonus. It's a bonus. It's in addition. So I'm sorry. I I, I gotta I, I hate to take Shirley's side here. Not Shirley's side, but very irresponsible, in my opinion. Very irresponsible. <laughs> I don't know. Am I on the evil side here? I don't I don't think so. I've honestly never worked a job where I got like a Christmas bonus. So it's it's always been a unique concept to me. When I saw this as a kid, I'm like, what is this Christmas bonus? Like <laughs> is this like every company just gives you all this money at Christmas? I don't know. Uh but that's not the way the world works and um I don't know if you've ever gotten a Christmas bonus before, but it's interesting that he like basically put this 
down payment, I guess with cash, like he said, his account wouldn't clear it. Were people using credit cards a lot in the eighties? Um, yes. He said he, I think he said he put a check, he wrote the check and it wasn't going to clear if he didn't have the money in the account. I, you know, it's funny because just in general, right? Like most bonuses, I, I mean, most people, I guess, would expect it unless you hear you're not getting one. So in fairness to him, he probably expected he was going to get one. But if he put 7,500 down, like what kind of bonus was was he really expecting? And you know, considering all the damage to his house, like he's not getting anything. And I, I know we'll talk about that in a second, but I do have to say this funny story. A couple of years ago, it was probably more than a couple of years ago. My boss at work and my job knows that I love this movie. And for Christmas, very seriously one year, he, you know, we were doing, we were going through bonuses and all that kind of stuff. Right. And he handed me like a manila folder and like, I'm laughing, thinking about this. He was very serious. And he actually printed out a jelly of the month club, like certificate and like wrote my name on it. And he gave it to me. And that like, he, he gave that to me like, and it was a, a total joke. Right. But he was so serious when he gave it to me. And I laughed so hard because like, I love this movie. I love the, the, he's like it's the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> so it was just a really classic moment and i think about that all the time in fact i have it printed out somewhere still and i keep it around because it's it's just so funny to me i, I thought that was a hilarious thing that he could do <laughs> so that's so cool that your boss did that and i like that concept of the christmas bonus and i wouldn't mind a jelly of the month club as long as i wasn't anticipating something something better but <laughs> yeah i think we agree drew that uh he should not have already paid for that i i don't know what the urgency was either it's just clark griswold i think jumping the gun he could have waited till after christmas yeah, i mean think think out. about why did he do it then he wanted to tell people for christmas but he didn't even have the money and think about it they're in chicago so like it's december in chicago like how is he gonna they're not gonna dig for the pool starting january the ground's frozen like they can't it makes no right. sense i mean that's why it's comedic genius but very <laughs> irresponsible, Clark Griswold. Very irresponsible. <laughs> yes, yes. That's right. And it's just basic knowledge. Every, and we can share that with everyone. Some of us have learned the hard way. You know, don't pay for things that you don't have the money to pay for yet. Right? <laughs> don't spend money I you don't agree. have. Yes. Now, it's talking about money, there's the pool. But there's also quite a lot of damage that was done. <laughs> By Clark's actions, uh, indirectly by Clark's actions, you had things like what? You had the Christmas tree. Initially, you tried to shove it in there. That got burnt. You had uh, what? Damage <laughs> to the carpet. The cat got fried. The cat fried. Um, <laughs> the the guttering. He he messed that up. So much damage is done, right? Oh, he falls through the attic. He fell through the attic that busted up the, the ceiling, I guess, in, in, I think it was Rusty's room. I, I think it was or the kid's room, right? Because they were in the bunk beds or I probably right. his son's. I mean, I'm trying to think of some of the other stuff. I have to go to the list, but I mean, this, this house was messed up. Like he, right. whatever with the pool, like he's got to fix his house now. All the windows are busted. Like you said, from, from the FBI agents busting through, like this place is a mess. <laughs> so have you ever wondered how much money it would cost? Like how much damage was done? Oh, absolutely. My wife, in fact, as we we're watching this, she said to me, how much the heck, how, how much did this thing cost? Like, there's no way. And she was tallying up like the windows and stuff as we were watching it. It's like, mm -hmm. there's no way you're putting a pool in buddy. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> well, Drew, it looks like someone has done the work. 
they have they have come up with a tally of how much damage was done. So this is an article on apartmenttherapy.com. Thank you for saying this over. Uh, and <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> we have basically they've gone through and tallied everything up. Okay, so we can say the windows alone damaged from Christmas tree that at the SWAT team's invasion would cost an estimated $1,000 per window equaling a whopping $10,000 since there are about 10 windows. The blown circuit, on the other hand, would cost an estimated $3,000 after Clark overloaded his outlet with various extension cords <laughs> for Christmas lights, resulting in a power outage. Then there's the gutter damage. And they say that would be about $3,500 before labor costs. And then, <laughs> so they go through it and they tal tally everything up, including the damage that the SWAT team did. And it's a grand total of over $52,000. That's a lot of money. How many Christmas bonuses is that? You know, like, <laughs> I know, I know. And it's like, I don't know how much exactly it costs to put in a pool, but that seems like it would be probably a bit more than, than putting in a pool. That pool's going to have to wait. I mean, that that's a, that's a fact right there. I mean, there's no way. I mean, the house was so messed up. And then not to mention maybe Todd and Margot going to sue him for busting up their house too, with the, the ice sheet that goes in the carpets wet. <laughs> Todd, <laughs> right. the stereo systems all busted up. Like they, Jay said, they lost furniture there. The, the 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 whole when he drove the thing through, man, like the streets messed up. Some folks have said Jay said that as well. Like this place mm -hmm. is not in great shape here. They they might as well move <laughs> at this point. The bad vibes started when Clark insisted that they go out and get a Christmas tree, a real Christmas tree, and they ended up traipsing out into the wilderness to chop down the perfect tree, wild tree. And they brought it back and he forced that into the house and all these misadventures happen. That tree finally died. You know, when uncle Lewis uh, set fire to it and just went <laughs> poof. And then what a shame. Then he sh yeah. It's, it's an absolute total shame. <laughs> then he goes out and he chops down another tree from the yard, which ends up damaging Margo and Todd's place. And then he brings that inside and there's a squirrel in it that they find later. How important is it, Drew, to have this perfect Christmas, whatever that I idea that is for your family? And how important is it to have those must have holiday traditions? And for some people that does include a live tree. And is that something that your family always had was a live tree or did you skew towards an artificial tree? We, we've always had artificial trees growing up. I've never had a live one. However, I've had some family members that have. And to me, I, look, I don't know the, 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 I guess the nostalgia of having a live tree, but I know like, for example, my, my great aunt had one and we would go to her house and she would have one and she'd have the water bowl underneath and all that stuff. But the needles would be falling. I mean, it smelled nice. It was, it was a nice thing. You could smell the pine and all that, but the needles are falling. There's all kinds of like, things you got to do to take care of it. And then you got to throw it outside. And I don't know. I know like when people talk about the sustainability, like I guess live trees actually sometimes are more sustainable than trying to have some, some fake ones, but we've always had a fake one growing up. I have a fake one right now upstairs. It's just easier for me. You put it away, you take it out next year. I, I don't know. Did you have a, a real one or, or, or artificial one growing up? You know, it's interesting. We always had an artificial one growing up. And recently, my sisters have been into having a live tree. 
I'll be honest with you. I was in the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. And what our troop did after Christmas is we'd go around and we'd do the Christmas tree pickup. So we'd offer that as a service to people where we'd go around, pick up their trees and dispose of them. And ever since then, I have not liked that process whatsoever. I just that turned me off to the entire process of <laughs> disposing live Christmas trees. And then also the process of picking one out. That's nice. You know, you have to get it back. So either you strap it onto the roof of your car or whatever, and then you put it in the holder thing and then you have to feed it water, you know, and you write those <laughs> occasionally blow out your windows. You know, that's a, that's a con, uh, you know, it smells nice, but there's a lot of sap, you know, as we see yeah. in the movie and you're right about the needles falling to the ground. It, it just, it seems like a lot of maintenance and too much work. I think versus an artificial tree, which it has the look, it's dependable. You don't have to keep it alive and you get to keep it and you don't have to keep spending money every year. I agree. I agree with you. Like I understand the tradition though. Like when they, in the movie, right. When they go out and yes. get it like that, the act of going out and getting it as a family and picking your tree, like I can understand it. Cause I think right. there's something cool about that. People make a day of it. A lot of people, you know, will do it the day after Thanksgiving or something like that, where they, they, they do that as a family. We just never did that. But I guess if you grew up doing that, I can understand why that would be such a fun thing. Cause it kicks off. Cause I mean, like a lot of what the holiday season about is to me and to others, right. Is spending time with your family. And I think the, the positive of doing that, I guess, is that it, forces you to kind of stop and and say all right we're gonna go get this tree and we're gonna go out and have it but i agree with you all of the other aspects to me like the second i have it and i do it now i'm like oh geez now i gotta take care of this thing and <laughs> you know whereas like you know my wife and i we could put it up one day and then it doesn't matter when we take it down maybe we leave it up a little longer i think back in the day uh when i used to live with with my friend badway we had it up for like half the year because we just left it up <laughs> right just, right we had like starting lineups and eagles like figures all over it because we're big football fans we had an eagles helmet on the top instead of a star but uh right. you know it's it's like i guess it's all about how you grew up you know this movie christmas vacation is so good at pinpointing all of these holiday traditions that we can all key into and all of these situations that we can probably relate to including the family so drew this movie definitely focuses on clark griswold's family much more so of course than the other vacation movies they actually come over and live with them for a number of days at least a week before christmas in this movie when you think of the family uh can you relate to any of these hijinks <laughs> that happen uh i don't know what are your thoughts on the whole family relationship i hope my family's not watching right now so you know i'm just <laughs> kidding no i mean i live in the same area as my family so for us it was more we would do something the night of christmas eve and then we would go home and then back to my own house and then the next day we would go to another family member's house we never like stayed over for an excessive period of time uh you know i i do that now because uh my 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 wife's family lives further away from us so we'll stay there for for a few days and it's nice to be part of the family traditions in in both sides i think the interesting thing though is like in this movie what was it they they say for like 10 days at least which mm-hmm. i was just thinking about this the whole time like why the heck did they go so early <laughs> it made no sense i i know it's just it sounds like a bad idea like i know some people's families get along really well but 
oh my goodness, having that many people from both sides of the family together in one house for that for long. That long. Wow. That's a recipe for, you know, you know what you're asking for? You're asking for people to be mad at each other and for the windows to get blown out and the, and the lights to blow up. Like that's the kind of thing that happens. And, you know, the dynamic between him and his in-laws is hilarious to me too, because his father-in-law just like constantly putting him down and like whatever he does is never good enough. And, you know, the lights like, so disappointed with them he's just so disappointed and he feels like a failure but clark's parents are so supportive of him and they're like oh right. you know i'm sure it's good like i love the dynamic of that and i thought that was really funny but man I, having anyone in your house that doesn't live there for more than 10 days in a in a especially at the holiday time with high stress <laughs> like right if i was him it's like where you go like to work he's going to work like he probably was happy to go because he gets away from the craziness that's going on and Man, the dynamic between the people was was nuts. So I, I I just thought it was written well, though, as we said before with John Hughes, so good. <laughs> so and I wonder if this is kind of going back to a time maybe before people flew a lot. Maybe they're coming from far away, and sort of to make the trip worth it, they would maybe stay, you know, at someone's house. I don't know. That's just a guess, but I don't know. It's kind of a quaint idea. Um, it's also kind of like a an ideal that. I would love to happen, you know, where everyone could come together and live yeah. in the same place for a while. Yeah. For me, for our family, no. I mean, we would see people on the holiday. That's it. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be spending that much time together. I don't think it would have been possible. Yeah. But I think, as, as wonderful as everyone is. Yeah. Spending a few days absolutely is great, but like right. weeks is like a lot for anybody, even the, the hosts, right? Like I wouldn't want to be like a burden on people for weeks. It's like, you almost feel bad, right. you know, that they can't do what they want to do. And the thing that I thought was interesting was, you know, Clark had this, Clark has this, this idea of what Christmas is and he's, he's an idealist. Right. And that's, I think why we all like him and we all live vicariously through the guy because it's a special time of year and, and you right. want to be with your family. And he's sort of oblivious to the fact like, Oh, Hey, maybe people are going to fight. Maybe this isn't going to happen. But the thing that I think is the biggest violation is he wants everyone to come and then he purposefully like avoids everybody the whole movie. He's either at work <laughs> or he's outside and his poor wife, it's like dealing with all the craziness in the house and he's out putting the lights up the whole day. Like he dumps them on her. And I feel like that's a violation. That's not cool. <laughs> like He needs to be there supporting, right? That's the one thing throughout all these movies, mostly except maybe during a little bit in Vegas vacation, she's like really supportive you know, uh, of him and just puts on a smile. And uh, yeah, she's kind of like a superwoman in a way. No wonder Wayne Newton liked her so much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, until he was started cooking pasta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have nothing to do later, please come back. I'm going to make pasta. It's amazing how we can all relate to these family members, which makes me realize that John Hughes knew that maybe people recycled families recycled. And yeah. We have more shared experiences than we'd think. I think, I, I think that's the best part about the holidays though. Like as much as everyone's family on some level drives them nuts, it's your family, you know, you're lucky to have the people that you have in your life. And I feel like this movie does a good job. Like no matter how much they're sort of all at each other's throats, they're still together, right? And they're still having a good time. Like even if the turkey's busted up or people are, you know, they're still trying to have a good time because they're together. And I feel like that's the best part about, and that's why I think 
you know, I love Thanksgiving and everything, but at the same time, the, the holidays after, like when Christmas is over, I feel like this weird depression sets in because it's like, Oh, that was like the cold of winter, at least in the Northeast here. And you almost mm-hmm. feel like, okay, well what's next? you have nothing till spring and the high of, of Christmas and the high of that kind of hits you, hits you low after. And I love spending time with my family, my wife's family, like our families. And I, I think it's, that's why I like this movie so much because like I said, as much as, as people kind of drive each other nuts in some family dynamics, you're still all family, right? <laughs> right. And that's, I think you've pinpointed one of the enduring qualities of this movie. Jay Wigan brings up a great point. Cousin Eddie's entrance was perfect. Just when you thought everyone had already arrived. How sure does look swell, Clark. Thanks, Eddie. Oh, it enhances your holiday spirit, <laughs> dear Catherine. Eddie? I love that because it's just at the moment of Clark Griswold's victory. He's so happy. Finally, everything's just falling into place. And then Eddie shows up amidst all the bright right there. in the play. Right there. <laughs> R- really amazing. And so, Drew, obviously, Cousin Eddie... We first were introduced to in the original Vacation movie. Well, how old are you, little one? Uh, she's born without a tongue, Clark. But uh, don't you worry about her. She whistles like a bird and eats like a horse. <laughs> in this one, he comes back. So we have Randy Quaid back as Cousin Eddie. Have you got a kiss for me? Eh, you better take a rain check on that, Art. He's got a lip fungus ain't identified yet. And I was wondering if you could give your thoughts on just this character and what he means to like movies in general and this franchise. I love Cousin Eddie. I love Randy Quaid. I know he sort of has, he's controversial now for all the, whatever's going on with him, but man, Cousin Eddie is so funny in this movie because, and you, you nailed it. And I think, you know, you guys said it in the chat perfectly, just when everything's going great. And just when everything's good, this wild card shows up and, and there's no better way to describe this guy than a wild card. Like if you haven't seen this movie, you kind of need to see him. And, and there's like these subtle aspects of the humor to him. So when he's wearing the turtleneck, but it's not actually a turtleneck and it's sort of like a bib turtleneck, but he's wearing a white sweater. So you can see the fact that it's not actually a turtleneck. Like it's very subtle, but that is freaking hilarious. Like that's so funny. And when he's messing with the little uh, spinning thing with the candles and he takes it out and it just falls apart and he just goes to the store. He's putting 10 bags of, you know, 50 pound dog food on the thing, taking advantage of Clark. Like he's not self-aware. Like, I guess he has no self-awareness and I just think he's so funny. And the line that he says as he's emptying the septic tank, I won't say it on here because right. I don't want your YouTube to get flagged, but the bleepers <laughs> all full. Like I right. say that sometimes just randomly to myself. Like I think the cousin Eddie character has like totally permeated pop culture. And uh, you know, it, it is just, he is just classic to me and uh, how, but he's a good guy because at the end of the day, what Clark wanted, Clark wanted Mr. Shirley at his house tonight. What happened? Mr. Shirley in his house that night. So he kind of yep. is the hero of the movie in a way, right? Because he kind of saved right. everything. <laughs> so I love him. I, uh, I I know some people might get uncomfortable watching him because it's like a discomfort thing, but I just <laughs> think he's so funny. <laughs> you know, it's funny because he's got this angle. I guess it's the same angle that's from the original movie. But if you watch, he has this angle where he and Catherine arrive and they want stuff. They want to mooch. They want money. They want all those types of things. And you can tell that they may have like 
kind of set their kids up to kind of play the pity card so that they could get the Griswolds to buy their kids presents for Christmas. And I, I think it's just an amazing touch at the end when Clark gets his Christmas bonus and he's like, I've just got my Christmas bonus, you know, and Clark hugs his wife. My bonus. And then at the exact same moment, Eddie's there next to Catherine and they hug each other the same way. Like, so happy. Oh, this is great for us. Yeah. This is great for us. We're going to get that money too. And um, yeah, Randy Quaid, just an amazing, just singular performance uh, as cousin Eddie. And I know that they did a sequel, Christmas Vacation 2, um, focused on Eddie. Did did you ever see that movie? I've not. I I know it exists, but I have not seen it. It's kind of like Jingle All the Way 2 with uh, Larry Larry the Cable Guy. (laughs) I haven't seen it. (laughs) Have you? No, I haven't seen it. I'm curious. I know it's like a made-for-TV movie, and it probably isn't that amazing. But supposedly, the actress who played Audrey in the original Vacation movie plays plays her again. Oh, really? I need to watch this now. I feel like I need to see it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. uh, We'll find it. We'll find it online somehow. So, Drew, as you're looking back on this movie, what other things really stand out to you? What are the things you look forward to every year? Oh man, I just love like I know it's silly, but I actually love the opening credits. I don't know if you like that or not. Some people, you know, just get on with the movie. But I love the song and it's got its own song and the cartoon intro and then it sort of plays into the outro too. You don't really see that in a lot of movies and I feel like it sets the movie up for you when you're watching it because you're getting ready for it. And and I, I love that aspect of this movie. I don't know what you think about it, but some people don't like that. They're like, just get on with the movie. But I, I think it makes the movie to me. But I, did you like that part? Oh, I loved it. I, I think it's great. You know, you have the montages with Holiday Road, Lindsey Buckingham song, which, which are fine. You know, they set up the movie just fine. But I like it when movies kind of go the extra length to deliver an opening sequence that's entertaining. It's like a story of its own. And I think it really sets up the tone of the movie really well. It's this comedic slapstick. Um, as a kid watching that, that's the first time that I saw a cartoon that really puts Santa in peril in kind of a funny way. It introduces the idea that Clark is going to put Christmas in peril. And that's what we can kind of look forward to. <laughs> and, and it's a fun song. It's It was created just for this movie. It's not too short. It's not too long. I really liked that opening. Yeah, I I love that part. And and the other part we didn't talk about a ton was I love the sledding part of this movie too yes. because yes. you know people have mentioned this but Clark sort of subtly hurling insults at, at at Eddie. Like he says some funny stuff to him there about the was it the plastic plate in his head or whatever. I don't know if I ought to go sailing down no hill with nothing between the ground and my brain but a piece of government plastic. <laughs> you really think it matters, Eddie? But right. I love like because I don't recall in the first one, you have to remind me, but they never really said what he did for a job, did they, in the first one? And this one, did they ever say it? I don't remember. No, they never really got into it. Yeah, especially the way that he put the the lubricant on the sled and what yes. that actually did was, was funny. <laughs> so I grew up in Pennsylvania and I'm in the Northeast here. And I, we didn't have Walmart where we were. So like when I saw Walmart, I'm like, what the heck's Walmart? I know Walmart's huge, right? And we have it now. But when I grew up, we didn't have that here, or at least that I recall. And it was funny, like seeing Walmart because they were in Walmart a couple times, uh, either the outside of the parking lot and then when they were buying the dog food. But I love the the sledding scene because some people do do that. They go sledding as a family. And like the mm-hmm. fact that he put a little science into it was hilarious. 
This is a new non-caloric silicon-based kitchen lubricant. My company's been working on it. Creates a surface 500 times more slippery than any cooking oil. And that was so funny to me because you're right. He was coating that with like some kind of compound he created, like they created at work to make things super slippery. But in the first scene, you see him talking about like, like cereal additives as well. So what's the new thing you got over there at Food and Drug? Oh, the crunch enhancer? Yeah, it's a non-nutritive cereal varnish. It's semi-permeable. It's not osmotic. What it does is it coats and seals the flake, prevents the milk from penetrating it. <laughs> it's like, what are they making? What are they putting in this cereal? You know, anyway, that's that was pretty funny. Only in the um, 80s, right? <laughs> oh, only, only in the 80s. And I love that slutting scene. I love that type of humor where it's just this kind of, oh, we're just putting this on here. We're going to go down. And then out of nowhere, he just like goes. Let it rip. Hang pen. It's just so funny. It's like out of nowhere. And he's just going a million <laughs> miles an hour. Um, absolutely hilarious. And winds up in the Walmart parking lot, which I thought was funny. And watching it this time, I'm like, I wonder if that's a reference to the fact that after the original movie, people started calling Walmart Wally World. Uh, and so I'm wondering if that was kind of like a full circle. That's a good point. I guess I did never thought about that. That's, that's right. a really good point. They put in a little product placement in there too. <laughs> right. You know, we talk about the funny things, but there are a lot of heartfelt scenes. Like oh, yeah. I kind of felt for Clark when it didn't work, when he strung up all those lights and took all that time and it didn't work. And he kind of was disappointed and looked like a failure in front of his parents and in-laws. Yeah. They're just like touching moments like that. And when he's you know, talking to Ruby Sue, who's talking about Santa and that Santa isn't coming this year. And I'm nervous because you don't know if he's getting nothing. You know, just there are those nice little sweet moments, I think, that help anchor the movie. I, I definitely agree with you. And like when he's watching the home videos from when he was growing up and like you can see why Christmas is so important to him and the holiday season, like he had that video of him with the sled and his mom and his dad and, and his uncle and some other folks, right? Like, he's up there sentimentally watching this stuff, reliving it. And he just wants to give that to his family. And, and I know I've gone through those phases too, where you grow up and you're a kid and it's like, Christmas is so magical, right? You feel this like magic in the air and then you get older and you start to just kind of like, whatever, I guess, you know, certain people stop coming to the holidays or maybe people pass away, unfortunately, or it's just not the same. And you go through that phase and and I personally went through that for a while where it's like, I guess in my twenties, it's kind of like, well, what is Christmas? You know, it's a cool time. I have some vacation from work, but now, I mean, I have a, a six year old now. And I think the cool thing about, you know, being fortunate to have her to live through this with is like watching her and seeing the, the, the magic of Christmas through my daughter. And like, there's something really cool about that. And it sort of re-energized me for Christmas again, because I can give her, we can try to give her the Christmas that we used to have. And the same, anyone where you have kids in your family or something where they see the magic of Santa Claus and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's, I, I kind of feel like Clark in that regard, you know, where it's like he wants to have this, this day and give people this special, uh, special, I don't know, season, I guess. And I'm wondering if that's, maybe the appeal of a movie like Christmas Vacation. Deep down, we would wish that our father or ourselves, you know, would go yep. to these crazy lengths to just make a great holiday that everyone will remember and pass on to, to their kids. Yeah. I mean, I just think you even think about, I know Christmas isn't about the gifts, right? But, you know, for the most part, people exchange gifts on Christmas. And I think about when I was growing up and my parents and like, we joked about Jingle All the Way in, in the beginning. It's like, 
I'm not saying he was a good father because he did it like the day before Christmas. So that's different. But like when I was growing up, I'll give a good example. We talked about Power Rangers before. I loved Power Rangers growing up. I have no idea how my parents did it, but they somehow got me like the Power Rangers. And it was like, you could not find them. I have no idea how they did it. Amazon didn't exist. Don't know (laughs) how they did Mm -hmm. it. Uh, But I remember the feeling of like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. And and I know how hard that probably was for them, you know? And now as like someone in my 30s, I mean, I've always appreciated it, but you appreciate it on another level. And, and it, you know, it's a silly gift, but it's like they try to do that to make it something for you because they knew how bad you wanted something. And, you know, whatever it took for them to do that, you know, you really appreciate it. And, and, you know, even just like getting together, making an event for them, uh, having the event itself, it's not always about the gifts, but having a nice day and like how hard people work to make that moment what it is. And, to get people together, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot and people put a lot of time and effort into it. And I think that's what makes it so good because everyone, you know, cares about each other and you kind of see that and it's a special thing. So I don't know. <laughs> There's my sentimental rant of the day. Christmas vacation. When it first came out, it did well. It had pretty good response. Obviously Siskel and Eber didn't like it. So I think after it came out, I don't know if anyone would have called it a classic, but my question to you is, now is national lampoon's christmas vacation a classic movie a christmas classic and or is it a comfort movie i think i'm gonna say how do i put these together it's a cultural christmas comfort classic in my (laughs) it's all of them (laughs) i think it's all of them because i think I could probably watch this movie in June and still enjoy it because it will right. bring me the feeling of Christmas. Uh, it, it is a comfort movie in that it makes me feel the joy of the holiday season. It's a classic in that I think I could watch it anytime. And uh, it really is just a great Christmas movie overall because it takes place at Christmas. It, it, it touches on a lot of the different things that makes Christmas what it is or isn't for a lot of people. And And I feel like, it's in the pantheon to me of Christmas movies. It's on the Mount Rushmore, like this one Christmas story jingle all the way to me. <laughs> and there's right. some others up there, like probably elf and home alone, but it, it's up there. It's a heavy hitter. And I can't, I can't say enough good things about this movie. It's, it's in my yearly rotation for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I have to say something about John Hughes for whatever reason, as a writer, as a filmmaker, he was able to really key in to these family, these warm comfort family stories, but also these holiday stories. You have this movie the following year, you had Home Alone. You also had Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is now the quintessential Thanksgiving movie. Um, He really seemed to understand these universal truths that we all go through and what we want to keep returning to, these ideas we need to keep returning to year after year. And I don't know if he, I don't know if there's a modern equivalent to John Hughes. I guess Hopefully we can look out for that because it'd be, it'd be nice, but he really had a magic touch. And I think this movie has that magic touch and I love watching it every time I laugh every time and it's always just fun. And it is, it is my favorite vacation movie. Yeah. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you and all the comments you said about Hughes, we've said it on a bunch of streams here, but he just understands dynamics and how to write people. And, you know, I think he, he proved that with all the stuff that he did. And, uh, man, I, you know, the guy's got, he had, it has, uh, an amazing resume here. You know, it's, uh, 
just it speaks for itself, right? All of his great movies and the way he rates people and dynamics. And this one's a perfect example of that. Add the Christmas uh, factor on top of it, and it's even better. <laughs> Josh says uh, sometimes a Christmas movie isn't a comfort movie. And mm. I would say probably Christmas movies, they all try to be comfort movies, except for maybe like Bad Santa or something like that. Yeah. Um, but not all achieve that. For instance, I'll just throw out Christmas with the Cranks. You know, <laughs> I, I just don't think it it doesn't work. There are a few that that really work as comfort movies that you want to return to and watch again, I yeah. think. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because even we just did uh, Four Christmases and like it was fine. Like it was a fun movie. But am I rushing out to go watch that in Christmas 2023? Probably not, <laughs> but I'll watch this one. I mean, it was fine. It's a good movie, but not one of my favorites. Like it doesn't sit in the classic territory, although it was good. So I agree with that. Everyone, as you know, or may not yet know, Drew is co-host of the amazing movie podcast called The Last Row Podcast. Drew, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about The Last Row Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Uh, I have a, a po- movie podcast called The Last Row. As as Ken mentioned, I co-host it with one of my best friends, Badway. Um, so he and I are, I'm one of two parts of that show. We do a lot of 80s, 90s, 2000s movies, movies that you forgot you loved, rewatchable type movies. We're in the middle of a holiday month that we're doing. So we actually started it uh, this past week with four christmases which is not necessarily a classic but we've done a bunch of holiday movies so we figured why not try to do a holiday movie month um we've done a whole bunch of holiday classics we've done home alone we've done jingle all the way uh, so if you guys like holiday movies check us out the last row podcast.com um all of our episodes are out there and we're gonna have another holiday themed episode coming up this upcoming week so we'll have sort of like a full month of holiday movies here for you all Wow. Now, are you able to tell us what movie you're going to be doing? Uh, we haven't decided yet. So if you guys have any suggestions, check it, check it out. We've got a couple ideas, but uh, we, we haven't decided yet. Drew, thank you for joining me tonight and giving us all your perspective on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I have a feeling we could keep talking about this oh, yeah. for another two hours. <laughs> Maybe I, I, we'll have to. Maybe next year. <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to having you back, Drew. Thank you. Have a great night. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you too. Want to be part of the live KenCast show? Subscribe to the Ken Cole YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to get alerts about every new show. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time on KenCast. Mm-hmm.